Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. I'm so not only impressed, but there's some important messages that you have to teach. As I'm listening to you, what I hear you saying is that when we're hearing someone's story, we have to be open to however that story is going to unfold, whether it's some really deep personal share or it's somebody that needs to walk them to the bus. Yes. Right. And that we have to not get too locked into how that storytelling or how helping happens. Right. Did I hear you right there? Absolutely. I can't say enough. Um, I've been a clinician for 20 years. It's been 20 long years of beautiful, powerful work. And I have to say that the most profound stories have come out in the most hidden moments of learning. And especially on this trip, it culminated into one narration of stories that happen in the most simplest and powerful moments that have changed my life to really thinking about how do we listen at all moments when mm-hmm. we're talking to someone, mm-hmm. right? And that we aren't always waiting for that kind of glam moment when this is story is going to be told, right? Yeah. Like that chair, that leather couch, that, mm-hmm. you know, movie set scene of this, you know, clinician or, and client moment and there's the story that's going to be told but rather in the most humblest of spaces these stories are told and are waiting to be told and waiting to be heard Mm -hmm. and I'll share if I can a a little story about that um we were at the border and one of the stations that we would work at was the shoe closet and so the families would come in the children, the dads, the moms to get a new pair of shoes because if they've been walking, you know, for so long, journeying for so long in detention, they had to take off their shoelaces. So an ice makes them take off their shoelaces. So they didn't have shoelaces and shoes were worn. So they could come into the closet and get another pair of shoes if they needed it, right? So I had been doing different, you know, checking and going different places around the center, working with different families. And I got to the shoe closet and I saw that there was shoes piling up and we needed to help. And I thought, okay, I'm going to help here, but it's not going to be as probably important as the other places that had been, right? So I stood there and I think I had only been there for five minutes. When this dad and this little boy came and stood by me and Leah and Lily were helping at the same time, we were all there together. And he said, mi hijo necesita otro par de zapatos. 
which is my son needs another pair of shoes. He was three years old and I can still see his face. And we said, okay, sure. And then dad proceeded to say, él ha caminado 30 días para llegar aquí conmigo. And what he was saying was that the little one had walked with him 30 days wow. to get to the border here at the United States and then ultimately turn themselves into ICE and now in this asylum court process. And he, I looked at him and I thought, 30 days. They journeyed 30 days walking. And he said to me, sometimes he had to walk because I couldn't carry him anymore. And at that point, he gave me the little shoes and I held the shoes in my hand. And I realized that these shoes had a story to tell. Mm. This 30 day journey and that this little boy coming to me to get his shoes wasn't just about getting his shoes, but also the shoes he was giving me was this enormous journey that he had to share. And that in that moment, I could listen and I could witness and I could embrace and I could um, just be in community with them. Mm -hmm. And in that process, dad ultimately gave his shoes and we exchanged shoes, but we exchanged a story in that moment. And I call, I, I remember saying, I have to take a picture of these shoes because it represents so much more than just this pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. And we called it um, Zapatitos. I took a picture and called it Zapatitos. And ultimately, one of our students, Julio, um, did a poem called Zapatitos that tells the journey of the shoes and coming and crossing. And so I think that taught me so much about we just don't know in what moment that these stories are going to be told. Mm -hmm. And we have to be ready to listen at all times in the most humblest and special spaces that there are. Mm -hmm. I think that's really powerful. And thank you for sharing sort of that broader lens with us, because I think we forget, right? We forget. You know, so I want to ask you about trauma. And I also want to ask you about intention. So there are lots of different folks that are part of Sidewalk Talk, and we welcome all volunteers from all different political persuasions. And um, some people don't understand or have judgments or have preconceived notions about why a father would risk his three-year-old son for 30 days. And not only that, but then the impact both emotionally and traumatically on this family both in their journey and then their experience for those that have negative experiences once they arrive here at the hands of different people that they meet. How do we widen our embrace to that full range from both their intention for the journey and their experience of the journey and let go of whatever ideas we have about who these people are? Yeah, it's such a good question. And I know that we're at a time where so many of us are wondering, should I be helping this cause? Should I be helping this person? What does this mean? In my helping, what message am I giving, right? There's all these kind of political borders that we're navigating in many ways in our community, both personally and family and friends. But 
even though we have our own sides of, you know, what we believe in or what we might think, I think the most important thing that I have learned is if we really look at human rights lenses and we look at what it means to really believe that everyone has a human right to the basic of needs and a right to have their family or to be safe. Um, I was looking at the Children's Human Rights Convention that was never ratified um, through the United States, but one of the the basic tenets is that children should have a right to be with their parents mm -hmm. and a right to not be separated, right? To, to not have that fear. Um, and I think if we just look internally at ourselves, mm -hmm. right? It starts with us first thinking as a mom, as a dad, or as a family, as an individual, even if they're not a parent, what do we need in life? We need love. We need community. We need to know that we're valued no matter what color of skin, faith, gender, orientation. And we need the very basics of food, clothes, and shelter. And so if we just look at that and we take everything else out of it, what we see here are children our moms, our dads, we saw grandparents coming for, to save their lives. And I can't tell you one of the most important things that I learned, and even though I would say to people, yeah, they're saying that, you know, their intention wasn't to come here. Um, that's kind of the narrative we hear. But what I heard firsthand so many of them crying because this wasn't their plan to come to the United States. This wasn't their life journey. This wasn't their call. It was something that they were forced to do to literally save their lives. And I have to tell you that anybody that thinks that this journey coming from one country through so many borders and then through Mexico and then to the United States they know it's a harrowing trip. They know the dangers of getting on top of that train of people that can kidnap, of rape. I mean, I can't tell you how many stories. Mm -hmm. They know that. So when someone is taking this journey, it's because there's no other choice other than death on that side. Mm -hmm. And death meaning no food to eat and no money coming and nobody to help we have to put things into context in the United States when there's so many different places where if you know, there's food banks, there's churches, there's food distribution centers, there's places that people can go to. There's a Goodwill. I mean, St. Vincent, there's so many different things that we know families or individuals can access, even when they're struggling, like there's still a little bit of that hope, like let's find that one place that can help us. Yeah. But we have to think about in these countries right now, there's not that one place. There's really not because they're struggling themselves. Everyone's struggling. And one of the things that I also heard, which is so important to emphasize, is that I, I'm still talking to these moms that, that we met that came to the Bay Area. A lot of them went to the East Coast. So for those of you who are out there on the East Coast, most of the families that we saw come in through the border were going to New York, Philadelphia, Indiana, Georgia, Florida. We had 
in a matter of a thousand families that passed through us. Um, we were met about five that were coming to the Bay Area and then some to LA. But it was pretty surprising how many were going to East Coast. And I have to say that um, those families that were coming that we've been tracking have said to us, you know, it was either death or coming here. And being here, they're devastated. They've left their family. Mm -hmm. Some of them have had to leave other children just so they can come here and work and send money. And they've also said, like, all we want to do is work so that we can provide for our family. So they don't want to use resources. They're not trying to like get freebies. Um, they really just want to come and work and be able to provide and be safe. And it's hard for them too, because this wasn't a choice. So I think we have to really look internally at ourselves and think, what would I want for my daughter? What would I want for my son? What would I want for my family, my mom? Like, if anyone in my family were going through this, what would I want for them? And it's really just comes down to the basic human rights. And it's unfortunate that other countries, you know, aren't providing that. And that's such a bigger issue, right? Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, I look around us at the Bay Area, there's so much resources that we have. And you look at these families and they don't even have a dollar when they get here to make it on the journey four days all the way up to New York, taking six or seven buses. Mm. They have nothing and they have one pair of shoes that, you know, they've worn down to the, to the very basics. And you think, I, I have a right to be able to give them something to eat. One story I'll tell you really quickly is we were in charge of um, helping them get their all their supplies like soap, um, shampoo, conditioner, so they could take a shower. And we were in the women's area, and, and um, some of my students were helping the you know get all their things so that they could go in to take the individuals and the women and the moms could go in to take their showers in a private area. But I have to tell you that one of the things that we remember so well is the women would come out and we heard this. <sighs> because they hadn't showered in days. Mm -hmm. And you and I can take that for granted every day, right? Mm -hmm. That we do that. But when we heard that, we heard their heart. Mm -hmm. And when we saw them eat their first bowl of soup, after coming out of ice and being so hungry, we saw that hunger. And when we saw children like lose sight of their moms while they were getting their clothes and everything, we saw the fear. We saw the children like gripping to their moms, like, where are we? What's happening? Crying. Because mm -hmm. they were so confused and, and scared and worried to be separated again or, you know, just some type of um, experience of like thinking about, I could lose my mom, I don't know where I'm at. I'm not in a familiar place. We saw moms and we saw dads dehydrated, um, confused, but also with a smile and a perseverance of, I'm coming here because it's the last thing I have to do to survive. Mm -hmm. And when other people say, 
yeah, they have other choices or there's other ways. There is no other way. I would do the same thing. I'm a mom of three and I think I'd have to do the same thing if I knew that my daughters were going to die or I wasn't going to make it to be able to feed them. Like we had nobody coming to help. We had no church or organization to go to. Um, What would we do? That's a question I have for people is what would you do? You know, it's so beautiful as I listen to you. You are such the perfect model of empathy because the words that you keep using aren't immigrants, aren't Latinos, aren't refugees. It's mom, grandpa, sister, woman, human. Yes. Right? And then you tell the story as if you're relating from your own equal humanity as a mom as a woman, as a human. And I can tell how that really makes you as the listener much more, you don't get to fly around in your therapist, you know, castle. <laughs> You're like right in there with them. And I can see how much it's impacted your heart. You're carrying all of these mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers and children with you and the stories that you're sharing about them. Um, both really deeply then motivated to be of service because you're coming at it from such a heart-centered place, right? But then also you're impacted. And I want to ask you, how are you taking care of yourself after carrying the stories? I know that on the one hand, there's this jubilation at being of service. And then there's also, you have your own after the shower moment of, right? So how have you been supporting yourself after your work? It's really hard, you know, because um, even just bringing up the stories and remembering, I, I put myself in that moment right now to share with you all. And, you know, I'm flooded with emotion because I think the thing is, like, we look in their eyes and it's like looking into your eyes right now, Tracy, you're looking into my daughter's eyes or looking into my neighbor's eyes. Like, um, you know, I'm a very spiritual person, faith-filled person. It's like, that's the face of Jesus or the face of how you want to witness spirituality, right? And so for me, I leave thinking, wait, what's going to happen? You know, the story doesn't just end. And that's one of the things I'm so proud of our university, San Francisco team and the McAllen 12 and everyone that when we went to serve, it wasn't just like, here's a soup, you're fed and, you know, here you go. It was an act of love to give them that suit mm-hmm. or that shoe because we, we know we're never going to see them maybe again, mm-hmm. right? So that one moment of interaction, same thing I feel about with the homeless. I remember one time someone said like, yeah, the, you know, homeless sometimes say like how people just walk by and don't even smile, but just a smile would be million dollars more than mm-hmm. action money, right? So I come back and I think to myself, oh my gosh, there's a lot that sits with my heart. Um, The hope that keeps me going is to really keep being active and sharing their stories and putting these narratives forward. Um, And my own prayer work is what I do, I think, is just really offering up into prayer, like, okay, help this person, you know, please work on this. And I see miracles happen, right? And, and I think my hope is that the, 
I, what I've learned in this process, especially being with this team of women in McGowan 12 and all of those that have come seen our work and have said, we want to help, we want to help, we want to help, and your work too, and all of you out there listening, is that we have all of these hands and hearts out there in the world, right? And that if we all just do a little part every day to help our neighbor, to help that next person, then we know that the work continues beyond me, beyond you, beyond those of us, right? Like that everyone's kind of, it's a race, right? That we're running together. So my, I, I just believe in all of the goodness that I see in people trying to make a difference. I keep telling the story. Um, with the respite center now, we have hope that we're gonna take all of these supplies and help them. And I just get up every morning with this conviction of really like, I only live once. Those that I see today are those that I will help. And I learned this really wise kind of, maybe people will say you're not taking care of yourself, parable, but I, I, I believe in it, or not, not parable, but a motto from one of our dads in Half Moon Bay. And I always say this, when he's Latino and he came also to the United States on a long journey and he's very successful now. Um, and he tells me, I see him working so hard and he tells me, I go, how do you do it? And he's like, how do you do it? And we look at each other and he says, well, you know what? When I die, I will rest forever. So I'm going to work as hard as I can because one day I will rest as long as I can. But right now I'm going to work really hard. And you know what? I see it's Joaquin. <laughs> it's not Joaquin. But it's <laughs> okay. And I see that and. And you know what? I don't have time to get tired because I see these families. I couldn't do what they did. I couldn't walk that 30-day heroin journey or mud's journey. Or, and I, you know, I see the farm workers. They're so, they're giving of themselves. They're so happy. They get up every day with a smile on their face to go work out in 100-degree heat to pick the food that we eat on our table. And I owe it to them to get up every day and say, like, how can I make the world better? Mm -hmm. I so appreciate you humanizing people for us, because what you've done through sharing stories is, I think, one of the things that gets in the way of empathy is fear, right? And we're afraid that, that we're not, that even if your intentions are good to empathize, that we're going to listen wrong or do it wrong. So just this first introduction, I think, might help all of our listeners be a little less afraid, right, to stay a little longer in the story. So I really, really appreciate that so much. Um, I know that I've taken up a lot of your time. Let me just ask you two parting questions. One, what advice would you give to our listeners specifically in listening to not just folks that have been recently experiencing the crisis at the border, but all Latino folks um, that have been living in this country and special things we should think about, number one, and what wish would you offer to Sidewalk Talk volunteers? Nice. Um, you know, I think it just goes back to, we never know who our next door neighbor is. We never know what journey they've been on. Um, immigrants from all backgrounds, right? All different countries, different places. I'll tell you this one thought I had at the border, and I think this can kind of like maybe uh, carry with you all. Um, I was working with one of the families, and 
I was seeing all of the, um, I guess, tears and the heart-wrenching experience and hearing their story. And we were in a desperate kind of mobilization to try and help them and get them on the bus and they were getting ready to go. And I thought they're gonna land somewhere, whether Philadelphia, New York, Florida, Texas, and no one's gonna know what they went through. Mm-hmm. No one no one was gonna see this moment we got to witness and that they're just gonna all melt back into the community. Another person, another person at school, another little kid in the classroom, another mom walking down the street, right? Or dad. So I thought we really don't know sometimes like who we're sitting next to mm-hmm. or who's in front of us or the stories that they hold. And so I think it's just thinking, how do I embrace this person today? And most importantly, that we see all immigrants from a wealth perspective, from a strength perspective, because they have been my biggest teachers. Mm -hmm. And they hold so much um, leadership, strength of knowledge, um, cultural knowledge, like they, they are amazing. But oftentimes everyone sees, you know, it's like, oh, what we don't do or what we don't have or that we don't speak English or the capacity that we don't have these CEO jobs. But, you know, I'll tell you that what they hold is impeccable um, knowledge that we should all be wanting to learn, you know? And so I think it's that and that we all can see each other as equal, no matter in what ways. And that one thing I always tell everyone, because I do hear this a lot, well, I don't speak Spanish, so, you know, or I don't speak this language, so I don't know how to make that connection. And I always say, because I have one really good um, role model, um, Pepper Black, that's a mentor for me, and she does a lot of nonviolent communication, um, just like yourself, um, Tracy. And I say, I see Pepper, and I see people that don't know Spanish, And their heart speaks the language when they're sitting with people. Mm. And that individual that doesn't speak English receives that heart language, receives that heart conversation by their smile, by their eyes, by how they look at them, Mm. by how they just witness them. So for those of you that say, well, I don't speak Spanish, I don't know how to reach them, you know, your smile and your time to just care or just be there makes a huge difference. Your time to just acknowledge them and say hello um, when no one else is makes a huge difference. So we have to remove fear because fear becomes our own borders for reaching out to other people, right? Mm-hmm. And finally, my wish for those um, of all of you listening is that. Today, you just go out and make the impact that you've been doing with a lot of love when we meet people, Mm -hmm. right? That we try to think about what would I do and what would I need in my family or how would I navigate this journey or why would I have to do this? And that we just listen to our heart because our heart speaks to us, but then we let other information come in and Mm -hmm that distorts what we should be doing. And if you're just listening to your heart every day, I think that makes a difference. And finally, 
We will be going back to the border um, end of November, December. We're looking to take supplies and resources. So we look forward to anybody that wants to help with that. I'm not sure quite what that would mean, but every single cent, every clothing item, um, people want to send things with Amazon, they can. Um, the humanitarian center gives a warm pizza every night to families. It might sound kind of crazy, but literally like that's food that the children will eat because they've been eating um, in detention center, like really cold sandwiches that they have stopped eating and some of them are hungry. So I can share with you, Tracy, other ways maybe we can. Post. But thanks Absolutely. for listening and thank you for having me, Tracy. It's great yeah. to be. What an honor. I feel like I, I have gotten a love transfusion from you today, Belinda. Really, I think your mission is, it's clear that you're doing work of service, but you are really putting a lot of love out there into the world. So that I'm the recipient of right now. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Everyone. Thank you. Loved it. Bye, Bye. dear. Bye.